Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. Chris Bellinger joined PepsiCo five years ago with an opportunity to drive creative work for its iconic household brands from Doritos to Quaker. Today, he's running a 95-person in-house agency that works across PepsiCo's broad portfolio to develop creative that keeps its brands at the pulse of culture. An agency vet, Bellinger has had success in-house by bringing empathy and open communication to the client-agency relationship, something both sides are often lacking for the other. On the brand side, he's had an opportunity to take big creative swings, from working with David Beckham and Peyton Manning on an ad for the World Cup, to getting the stars and creators of Breaking Bad to sign on for Popcorner's first Super Bowl spot. In this episode, he talks about his experience building an in-house team at a massive company like PepsiCo and takes us behind the scenes on how some of these ambitious creative ideas came to life. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, Editor-in-Chief of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Doing great. Thanks for having me here. So you are VP of Creative and Digital at PepsiCo. Tell me about your role. What exactly do you do? What does the VP of Creative and Digital at PepsiCo do? It's a great question. Um, (laughs) I ask myself that daily. So (laughs) the uh, reality is I've got got the benefit of having a dual role. So part of my role is running our in-house creative team and agency team where we built it from kind of the ground up in the in-housing for everything that we do on that. And the other half is that I get to work with all the brand teams and our uh, marketing teams on helping to lead and shape and form the creative for all of the iconic brands that we get to work on. That's awesome. So talk a little bit about the in-house teams. You run an in-house agency, essentially. How does PepsiCo kind of structure in-house versus how you work with agencies? How big is the team? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I joined about five years ago now, and I came from external agency. So I am an agency kid through and through, Mm -hmm. and I still call our brand teams clients um, just because it keeps that same mentality that I really love from an agency mentality. And where we approach in-housing is really the opportunity to move faster, be really embedded in the business, and getting content and work out into the world at speed is a huge advantage for what we have from an in-housing perspective. So when I first joined, the team was two people. And the best way I can frame it up is it was really framed up more so like a digital Kinko's, for lack of a better term, where it was resizing, it was some banner ads, it was some different components within that. And when I was brought in, the um, Jen Signs, who was the CMO at the time, had this vision of really wanting to take it to the next level and turn it into a full-fledged 360 agency, which was an awesome opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so when I first joined, we set out to build that from the ground up. And there was a few key things that I wanted to make sure that we maintained since I came from external agencies. So I knew the kind of, you know, sensitivities and issues with in-housing versus external agencies. Um, when I was external, I absolutely hated the in-house teams. And so it was one of those that was something I did not want to have when I joined because I, I don't believe it's an all or nothing thing. So right. when we first joined, we decided we were going to build this as a really organic piece of business and no one was going to be forced to use us. And if people wanted to, then we would opt in, but we weren't going to pitch against external agencies. We weren't going to pitch for anything that was going to result in a one or loss of business and really just need to prove ourselves from the ground up because that was going to be the best way to be able to build something. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So within that, we then started where every agency does with taking on any brand, any project that anyone was willing to let us take a swing on. And from there, we continued to build out the team and built out creative and account service, uh, production, digital, social. Now we have cause and DEI as a part of our team. And we're a full 360 shop now, which is something that's been really amazing to watch over the last five years. That is amazing. Take it back to the beginning um, where you were sort of talking about the ambition to build this out. Like, what was PepsiCo sort of thinking? Because you have, they obviously gave you time to grow and sort of like build out the offering and be successful. So, what sort of made them have that long term vision that of, of internal agency being successful for a brand like for a company like PepsiCo and its brands? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I think some of the initial. Probably motivators were what everybody has when they think of in-housing, which is there are some efficiencies and there's ability to elevate the creative IQ of the entire company. And that's really what got me interested when we had the first conversation is that we could just, as you know, I lovingly say, uh, despite my comms team telling me not to, is it's all the cool shit, none of the bullshit. So we got to eliminate all the different elements that were things that were standing in the way of doing really cool things and big things for the brand teams. So I think when they kind of first had this idea that this would be capable is when we started producing work that was able to move a lot faster for brands that didn't have any budgets. And so it was an opportunity for brands to take big swings. And since it was an in-housing capability that we were able to kind of cut our teeth and train our teams. And also I was able to play that dual role of helping to lead and and have conversations with the brand teams while also trying to push some of the creative but also being a little bit of a agency translator in mm-hmm. helping them give better feedback with their external teams, helping them evaluate what is a good idea? How do you approach different components of marrying the business? So the art and the science components of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned that, you know, you like being an agency vet kind of shaped how you thought about building out this team and it allowed you to kind of get around, navigate some of the tensions, right, between in-house teams and agencies Talk about how you approach that maybe differently than someone who had just been on the brand side. And what were, what were some of the things you learned being on the other side of it? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's coming over with the empathy that exists from agency life and the hours and the grind and the pitching and always wanting to try and great work and then great work not seeing the light of day. Or you work on something for a year and then you're not able to see it come to life. Like there's nothing more soul crushing than for an agency team to work on this kind of stuff. And then immediately at the very end, it gets killed and not understanding the full why. Mm -hmm. So I've really been pushing our brand partners and our brand teams to be way more open and transparent with our agency teams. If you don't like something, tell us exactly why you don't like it. Be prescriptive. That's okay. It's okay to say, listen, the blue duck just really, I had a bad experience when I was a child with a blue duck. You're like, oh, that's good to know. I would have never (laughs) known that in a briefing. So we're not going to bring you any more blue duck ideas, but I will bring you other ideas that give us a bigger opportunity or, hey, we can just swap that out. And now we have a really cool and great idea. Um, Encouraging the teams to take wild card ideas, asking the agency, hey, is this an idea that you would die on the sword for? Because if so, that means there's something really passionate there and we should explore it and see what's out there. Mm -hmm. I think from an in-housing perspective, what we were able to build out is it was a lot easier for me to walk down the hall and say, hey, I got an idea. And talk to the key decision makers so that there's not four weeks of rounds of internal presentations and the variations on where the idea could go or if they killed an idea to say, hey, what, why? When I first got here, I called it being on the other side of the mute button Mm -hmm. because we've all been there in an agency presentation where 
you're presenting through the bat phones pre-COVID and it was all the conference calls and all of a sudden it would go really quiet and you'd have to say like, hi, are you still there? <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, sorry, I was on, we were on mute just discussing. And now you could actually hear what was happening. And that was so insightful. I even told them, if you would just tell people your agency partners and your creative partners, what you guys are talking about, the work would get better because this is the additional intel and context that we need. Yeah. What do you think it is that makes that the norm, right? To not communicate in that open and honest way. Is it just like poor communication, like in general, or is it like, I don't know, I guess it's refreshing. It's a refreshing approach, I think. And I don't think a lot of agency client relationships culturally are like that. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously you have great, amazing clients. They're the ones that I think have been always been amazing have been the ones that have over-communicated and have been willing to say, hey, here's why that idea died. Not just idea two, we're not, take, we're not buying idea two, but explaining the why. And I think it's a little bit of just that's how things were done. And so as people come up through brand teams and marketing teams, they're just taught, hey, here's how you give feedback and versus a taking a totally different approach to it or being really open and honest with it. And mm -hmm. the agency teams, I think, love it when you're way more transparent with those kind of conversations. Yeah. So when you are working alongside an agency on a PepsiCo brand, like, I guess, how, how does it work? How do you kind of structure things? Where does your team pick up the ball and where does the agency come in? And is that, I'm sure it's different with each project, but sort of maybe give an example. Yeah. So with every project and with every brand, we operate a little differently. So, um, we have scopes just like external agencies do to make sure that we're keeping, you know, a line of sight and swim lanes in terms of, hey, this is the type of work you will do. This is the type of work another team will do. And I really try to respect those and make sure that we're, we're honoring those swim lanes and kind of the rules of the road on who's working on what, when and how. Um, for some of our brands like Doritos, we have Goodby, who's our agency of record. And the in-house team is the social agency of record. Mm. So in that, we work as a part of an IAT. Where could be we partner directly with on all their amazing campaigns. They're one of the best creative shops out there. And we work side by side with them on them developing the big core campaigns. And then as a social agency, we do our best to amplify and bring it to life in other ways and work from a full 360 capability in that standpoint. There's other brands where internally we are the AOR. So we kind of handle the whole thing soup to nuts. And we do everything from the strategy and ideation all the way through the execution. And then there's brands where we are the AOR and there's other agencies that we work with that we partner with. And our partner agencies are amazing. Obviously, we have Ketchum and OMD and Motive and other agencies that are out there that we work really great with. And those are the types of everybody's got their swim lanes. And that's where we see really some of the best work that we've done, I think, the last couple of years as a PepsiCo as a company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's about sort of being clear up front and communicating again, <laughs> what everyone's it's, it's yeah. funny how communication can solve so many issues and so many aspects of life. Right. <laughs> yes. It, it drives some of my team nuts, but I am absolutely a proponent of guys, just see, see someone in, bring them in the loop. Yeah. There's no downside to this. Yeah. Like don't, don't hoard the information. <laughs> You're speaking too much reason, Chris. Stop that. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about some um, recent campaigns that you've worked on. I know the FIFA soccer versus, versus football campaign uh, was a recent one. I think something we talked about in Can that was really interesting was just like creative teams 
being precious about their process and sort of not wanting to admit all the crazy stuff that happened to bring an idea to fruition. So I'm wondering if you could shed light on what it was like to pull that campaign together and and be honest about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That was obviously a massive, massive campaign for us. It was the first time that our team specifically, so I work on the Frito-Lay business, uh, Frito-Lay and Quaker. And so for Frito, it was the first time that we had ever had a World Cup sponsorship for North America. And so this was a massive opportunity for us. And now as a part of that, we have a lot of people on the team who are diehard soccer fans. I mean, die hard. And that was a really huge advantage to us because we had a great team internally that already loved the sport. They were huge proponents of it. And the catch was, how do we get Americans to care about soccer? And while it's a growing sport, it's the fastest growing sport in North America, it's one of those where it's still a little bit of a hard sell uh, compared to the rest of the world. So working on the World Cup spot, we had to find that, you know, really – thread the needle on how do you create something that's super interesting that is in our wheelhouse that feels as our tonality for our our snacks and our brands, but at the same time gets people really excited about it and is going to resonate. So the idea of soccer versus football was born and we were able to, you know, work together with the likes of Peyton Manning and David Beckham and which was amazing. And it was directed by Michael Bay, which is a whole different level that we had been experiencing and working with the brand teams on everything we were bringing this to life. But obviously with that many heavy hitters, there's going to be a few situations where you're like, Oh man, I don't know if this is going to work. Yeah. Like there is, it was the, the scheduling we were working on times where both guys were going to be able to film at the same time. We were working with Michael Bay. That's got a very unique way of shooting and filming and the speed at which he moves is just completely insane and it was amazing to watch but he's setting up four different shots simultaneously and has four cameras running simultaneously and where you're used to in a commercial saying okay now here's the proper next shot and here's everything's laid out meanwhile we've moved on to three other shots since then and Mm -hmm. just the speed at which that was done was really really stressful and impressive to watch at the same time Mm -hmm. but one of the situations we had was scheduling of trying to shoot with um, obviously Beckham and Peyton being in drastically different parts of the world. So could we find that central location? And we settled on London. And London was where we were going to film both these guys. We only had them for a limited number of hours each. And our shoot date unfortunately happened at the really unfortunate time that the Queen passed. And so we had to reschedule last minute on figuring out when we were going to be able to shoot and work with everybody and do that in a really, you know, respectful and honest way that still got our content. And so that was a a kind of a mad scramble towards the end. But then on set, everybody was absolutely amazing because it was post when everything had happened. We were able to find that very narrow window and the guys were amazing to work with. I mean, it was awesome to watch them. They the first time they'd ever met. So being able to see that come to life was really kind of surreal when you've got David Beckham, Peyton Manning, and Michael Bay all there on set together in London while we're filming a World Cup commercial. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Talk about like that scramble. Like, what do you have to do to, to pull it off? And, and like, what's on the line if you can't? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely maintaining a level of sanity and the open level of communication <laughs> with everybody saying, hey, here's the situation, here's where we're up against. And thankfully, everybody was really, really understanding. So there was a certain level of stress of saying, hey, if we miss this window, what happens? Do we then have to pivot? Are we shooting somewhere else? Do we have to scrap the day? 
Um, what does it look like and as it pertains to everyone's schedules? And we still have the, you know, it's a finite final date. So the World Cup happens on that date. It's not like we're going to be able to push our air date. Mm-hmm. So it really was a situation of everyone kind of like rolling up their sleeves. And we have a very, very small team compared to a traditional type of external team. And it's looking at everyone and saying, all right, guys, like this is we're in a, we're in a situation where we have no choice. So we have to figure this out and I need everyone to be okay with it and having the brand teams along the path and seeing every one of our conversations with production teams, with talent teams, with post-production rescheduling and really showcasing the brand teams like, hey, this is what happens when a situation like this rolls up. So that the next time they're going to be really well aware and they're going to be able to be kind of mentally prepared for how to pivot that quickly. Yeah. Do you feel like having an in-house team was helpful in that situation? Absolutely. Because we're all part of the same team. And so mm-hmm. there, there's, we all have the same email address. It's easy to be really transparent about the different situations that were happening and to be completely open and honest about here's the trade-offs that we have. If we're going to do X, then we are not able to do Y. Are we all aligned to that? But it was making the decisions in real time. I think that was a huge opportunity for us because there's other times when you have to send stuff over and it gets reviewed in a box and then you have a conversation that comes back and then it gets translated through a game of telephone and you're just not able to move as fast. And yeah. I think where our brand teams have done a great job is creating those relationships so that we can move in real time because we were on the phone with other people half a world away making real time decisions. Yeah. And being real time as a marketer these days are is essential um, to stay on top of trends and all of that. So. Yeah. And we'll talk about some social stuff that you've done. But first, I want to talk about the Popcorners uh, foray into the yeah. Super Bowl, which was with the Breaking Bad stars, uh, Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul. Talk about that. Obviously, Super Bowl is the most high profile stage for an advertising creative um, and for a brand. What was it like shooting that? Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, that, that's the brass ring. For, for any agency, for any creative, is being able to work on you know a World Cup spot and then a Super Bowl spot. And having those happen back-to-back with each other was kind of a oh-shit moment and a dream-come-true moment. Um, thankfully, we've got amazing teams that we we're able to build. So like I said before, we, when I started, we had two people. Now we're close to around 95. And between uh, a number of different brands and Quaker and Frito-Lay, and I feel like we've got some of the best in the business that we've been able to recruit and bring on board and very happy that they've been willing to jump in the way they have. And Super Bowl is one of those examples where we got a chance to put the first ever, um, you know, better for you snack on the Super Bowl with popcorners for us. And traditionally, it had been our big core brand. So this was kind of an up and coming brand. And taking a big shot for this was... One of the things of like, hey, guys, we're going to get a chance, but I can't promise you this is actually going to happen. We had to, we had to earn it. We had to prove that there, we had an idea that was willing to be done. And the team that worked on that, the creative team and account team and strategy teams that worked on that, we did our first round of internal presentations. And one of them was this idea. And I honestly said, I was like, you guys have lost your mind. This is one <laughs> of the most successful shows in the world. There's no way that they are going to be wanting to team up with us. And not only that, but... I don't know how we're gonna. I'm gonna be able to convince our brand teams that uh, obviously the subject matter of Breaking Bad <laughs> and our chips, and we're just gonna swap out that one key ingredient, and our chips are gonna become that core component of that uh, program. So that presentation in itself was a wild experience, 
and just looking at the blank stares that we got back from the brand teams of like, are you guys serious? Like, it's a wild card idea. Just, just go with it. It's going to be great. And to the brand team's credit and the organization's credit, they fell in love with it. And we're like, this is going to be amazing. This is huge. We are absolutely going to go for this. And then reaching out and calling the guys with uh, the Breaking Bad team and Cranston and Aaron, and they fell in love with it. And it was one of those really surreal, surreal moments. You're like, this is going to happen. Mm. And it was off to the races after that. That's awesome. I mean, it sort of is like, the craziest ideas are usually the best, right? But yeah, what's it like when you kind of bet the farm on like two actors saying yes? <laughs> like, I feel like, how do you how do you navigate that? Well, there's always a plan B idea, but yeah, that's true. We were really all in on this one, so um, the you know it was it was Rachel Fernando and then Brett O'Brien. Rachel was the CMO before Brett. Brett joined us right in that time, and thankfully both of them loved it. So when you have a CMO change, you're always a little mm. bit nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this situation, both of them are absolutely amazing, incredible marketers. And I've learned a ton from them, even just from the creative and business side of things. And having leaders like that, that are willing to go in and take those big creative bets and then not only take the bets, but back you throughout the entire time is something that I think has really unlocked what I've called the golden age of free to lay marketing the last four years. And I think it's just been one of those where we've taken it to a whole nother level with our external partners and our internal agency and creative. Mm-hmm. And so Popcorners was one of those examples where you were taking a massive, massive swing. And, you know, there's no room for error on Super Bowl. So people love it or they don't. And if they don't, they're going to be very, very vocal. Mm-hmm. And with a property like Popcorn, I mean, property like Breaking Bad with a product like Popcorners, it's definitely one of those situations where you feel like, we have to do the fans the service that is needed to them and the love that they had for that property. And we had a couple people on the team. So the creative team was Matt Schaefer and Sadie and Katie, and they are diehard fans. So the entire way through, they're like, well, this is what would happen. And I was like, I, get I know, guys, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> but we're also making a commercial. And we got to work, thankfully, with the creators of Breaking Bad. Uh, Vince Gilligan was the director. And so we did shot for shot remakes of everything. And it was one of those really, really great experiences where everything just went smoothly. I've never been early on a shoot before. And we were early. Wow. And so getting the chance to work with those guys in that way and everyone turned out amazing. And even our first round of edits was like, this is fucking good. Like, yeah. we, we think we're onto something. That was finally the first time where I had a sense of relief in that okay, I think this is going to really, really work. Yeah, yeah. Something interesting you said about um, talent and how you had, obviously, the CMO being willing to take big creative swings is huge. But talk about like getting, you know, your team is 95 people now. How do you attract talent internally? I think there's always a stigma, right, between agency versus in-house talent. Oh, and absolutely. How, yeah, like agencies are considered, I think, more exciting and uh, fast paced and in-house can feel a little stodgy, I guess. Um, talk about how you make it exciting for people to work at Pepsi and you get the same caliber talent that you would at an agency. There's definitely the stigma. And even when I first joined, I mean, my first reaction was to turn down the opportunity because I had just Mm -hmm. left and started my own agency and was like, you know what? I don't know if I'm willing to go in-house and retire just yet. Like I really want to be out in the wild and see what I can do. (laughs) And the more I thought about it was, these are amazing brands and I had worked with Frito for a while before and I loved the people and I missed them. So it was one of those like, all right, let's take a shot. 
Worst case, I can always go back out and find another gig or do something else. Uh, best case, we build something really incredible and it's working with some of the most iconic brands in the world. I mean, how often do you get to work on brands as a agency person that's a, that are household names? There's no explanation. It's like, have you heard of Lay's and Cheetos and Doritos and Fritos? And that's just four of them. And, you know, we, we've got a number of them. So that ended up becoming a really good selling point, I think, for getting internal talent is you're going to get the chance to work on some of the biggest brands in the world. And I promise you, you will make more stuff that will see the light of day than you would at a traditional agency. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that is just because we have to. It's part of the the mantra of what we've built and the goals behind what we're activating. Um, thankfully, I get to work with all the external agencies too. So I get the best of both worlds. I get to do work with some of the biggest and brightest um, with High Dive and Goodby and Motive and other agencies that just develop this amazing creative out there out in the world and get to work with production companies like Revolt and Obsidian Works and other groups that you know, are getting the chance to see the best of the best out there and then doing our best from an internal standpoint to be able to work on these mega brands, doing mega projects that normally it would just take a year or two to develop. We're, we're putting them out in four to five months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something you've, you've brought up consistently is like the speed with which you can do things. Talk about some, some of the stuff you've done on social media in-house. Like you mentioned your social media AOR for, I think it's Doritos. You also did yeah. Frito-Lay's food talk campaign or hashtag food talk. So talk about that yeah. and, and how you approach social campaigns. Yeah. So social has been, I, I have a love hate relationship with social. Don't we all? Yeah. You're always, you're, you're always one post away from death, but <laughs> it is also the closest thing you can do to be in touch with the everyday consumer. And it truly is the pulse of the culture. So we've got an amazing social team that has been able to build up and dive in. So we actually are the social agency for the majority of the brands at Frito-Lay. And so the majority of brands, we run all their social, um, organic and amplified and uh, community management. I've got a team of socials that's run by a guy named James Clark, who has uh, a ton of agency experience and a ton of brand experience. He came from the media side. And so we've got community strategists, uh, community managers, social strategists. We now have content creators that are our own built in-house. We have a production studio down here at headquarters right next to um, some of our R&D facilities. So the team gets to go down there and build and shoot and do real things in real time. And some of that has been what I think is the, the best way to stay in touch with consumers in real time. So our team is dedicated to always being on the pulse of culture. And so I think one of the, the ideas you're talking about is when we did, it's, it's a program called Flavor. Yeah, I and think I butchered the name. I apologize. It's all good. <laughs> this was honestly a rogue project. So it was, we wanted to get as, uh, you know, we saw uh, an ongoing trend, especially during COVID and after the amount of people that were using our product in recipes and TikTok with the rise of food entertainment and food talk is definitely one of those things that we wanted to tap into. So we were really wanting to create a purely food entertainment, unbranded account that would be able to lean into what it is that our, our product stood for, which is flavor. So under, I would say, the cloak of darkness, we started filming content by ourselves on our cell phones and making recipes and then started loading them all to TikTok as I gave, I gave the organization a heads up we were doing it, but we didn't tell any of the brand teams because mm-hmm. we wanted to see if this was even going to work. 
And so we started making this. And within six months, we had an account that had over a million followers and is continuing to grow and just leaning into the food entertainment side of things. And it's done really casually. It's done really kind of lo-fi. And that was a huge thing for us in terms of an unlock of like, oh, we can have a lot of fun doing this and build content that people want to engage with. And it's even expanded and turned into its, its whole little universe that, you know, is building out. We have 1,800 recipes right now wow. that involve our products across all the different brands. And so it's one of those really kind of cool elements that we've been able to see come to life in real time, thanks to a social team that's on the pulse of culture. And then we take all of those same kind of learnings over to the brands. So we've done a lot of stuff with Lay's and Doritos. Um, We had some really fun programs recently with Fritos, with the Frito Flow that we got to work with Ketchum on that was all around mullets and the mullet culture within Fritos. So we have those kind of opportunities where we just see these things with our, our teams that are really plugged into culture and our true fans and true consumers. And even with Lay's, we had a huge opportunity with Big Brother and just saw one of the contestants was eating our product all the time. And so we were able to create a campaign around that and bring it to life and work with them. And that's the type of stuff that in order to be able to move fast and have that level of trust, that's where I do think having an in-house team is a, a big advantage because we sit right next to legal and the PR teams and we're able to talk to them and say, Hey, have you seen this? Can we activate on this? Mm. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think, you know, you sort of mentioned (laughs) your one post away from death. Like it is, it is a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because you can react so quickly and be on top of these trends um, in a way that consumers really appreciate, but you can also one post and you can, you know, have your quarterly earnings impacted. How do you navigate that? Like PepsiCo is a huge company. You obviously don't want to alienate any consumers, but you also want to take a stand where necessary. I think a lot of big corporate companies are dealing with this, like wanting to be quick and nimble and creative and on trend, but also not wanting to piss people off who are vocal online. So, So talk about how you think about that. I think a big part of it is one, understanding the environment that you're in. And understanding to, you know, what your organization's threshold are. So we've got extensive, you know, protocols in place to work with legal and our comms teams and our brand teams. And also we have, you know, our social audits that we always put together to make sure that we're staying on the pulse of culture and for the brand, what feels right for the brand, what feels right at the time. And it's one of those of just because we can say something, should we say something? And if we are going to say something, how are we going to engage? And a lot of strategic thought goes into that. I think that's kind of the difference between, you know, uh, a really smart and effective and, you know, culture pushing team versus one that maybe is just rushing to be a part of a conversation just because it's a part of a conversation. And so I think with as many brands as that we have and as many partners that we have internally that we're able to kind of, you know, find that fine line and play in those areas that are really going to resonate. And what we're about is always bringing joy to people's life. And so being able to lean into that and have that as a central focus and a core tenant of more smiles with every bite is a really good barometer for how we're going to engage. Mm. Do you feel like there is more like hesitation among creative teams now, just based on recent things that have happened with brands? Or is it like, I don't know, I guess I wonder if that's a conversation that that teams are having. I think you have to have it because it's, it's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And 
I now do I think it's you know restricting creatives in any way, shape, or form? Not based on the ideas I'm seeing. Okay, uh, they they are still swinging for the fences, <laughs> and I think there's there's often times where I always tell the teams, both internal and external, hey, it's easier to pull back than it is to push. So in your round ones, swing big. Yeah, because if you're not, then you know it's always going to feel like it's not that exciting. If it's not going to give any kind of emotional no response, then you need to keep pushing. Yeah. So it's been about around five years, right? That you've been building this, yeah. this agency within PepsiCo. What, what do the next five look like? Like, where do you see it's gone from two people to 95? What's the next step? I, I think your bet's as good as mine um, in terms of <laughs> where, where this is going to go and what it's going to turn into. I would love, I really just want to keep doing good work. I, ke- I keep wanting to do cool shit. Um, that's kind of the core tenant of everything that we do. And I would love to see it continue to expand and grow. If more brands and client teams want to keep working with us, that's awesome. Um, we're working with all of our you know, um, counterparts on beverages and internationally and just having the chance to continue to touch people's lives. I mean, that's such a cool thing to be able to say you work on a brand and you created something that millions of people get to see. And there's the best friend's mom test of like, hey, did my best friend's mom say something about this? And be like, oh, I saw that commercial or I saw that program or I, I heard about this. That's a really cool feeling. Mm. That's rare air for a lot of people to be able to create programs on brands that have this level of scale. So as long as we are keep able to do that and I'm going to keep trying to beat the bar of what we've done before, that's, that, that's going to be a win for us. And I think we're going to continue to expand and build out new disciplines and different components with it. I hope the team continues to grow internally. Uh, I'd love to build a bigger studio. So for any of the finance people that are listening to this right now, just you'll, you'll see the request come soon for some more cameras. <laughs> Chris wants a studio. You heard it here first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you're definitely doing, in your words, cool shit. So thank you so much for your time and for joining us. And we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. It was a blast. Appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to Campaign Chemistry wherever you get your podcasts and head to campaignlive.com for all the latest news on advertising and marketing.